All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We have uh, the notes there on the table if you want to utilize those from fill in the blanks. Um, if not, I encourage you to silence your phone or turn it off just for these uh, 20 minutes to be distraction-free as possible. All right, First Peter, so far in this letter written by Peter, we've seen that he's writing it to what he calls elect exiles. We've talked about a little, just a small amount, uh, what it means to be an exile. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. But basically, we know that Christians are not at home. You should not feel that you are home or that you completely belong here. And in the first major section of 1 Peter, he calls these elect exiles to praise God. And he gave them some reasons for that. He said, you should praise God because you've been born again. You've been given a new beginning and because of that, you can have an unshakable hope, a living uh, joy, or a living hope, an unshakable joy, and you've been placed in the story of God. And so he establishes this identity for a Christian. Then he talks about how you should be who you are. There's some things that you should act out as a Christian because you're identified with Jesus. And then he kind of rounded off all of that last week in the passage we focused on where he talked about how your identity as a Christian is one that's informed by the community of people that you're around. Meaning a major part of who you are as a Christian is determined by the community that you're a part of now, one that we call the church. So do not fold into the lie that your Christian life is a private belief. Don't fall into the lie that your Christian life is something that's an individual decision. It is something that has brought you into a family, into a community, and that's a major part of understanding who you are as a follower of Jesus. But that's not the only community that we see in the world. There's also a community of people um, or another group of people that you interact with on a daily basis. Those are people that don't believe the same things that you do, who do not follow the same God that you follow, who do not worship the same God that you worship, don't value the same things that you value. We live in a world that is not all happy and Christian. No matter how much we try to just flood out the radio with K-Love, no matter how much we try to just make Christian movies and Christian music and Christian coffee shops and whatever, Christian schools, we must realize that we are not home yet. We don't belong here. We don't belong where we're at. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's what, we're, what Peter is really going to launch into, this new section that he's going to launch into, talking about you as a resident alien, the fact that you are an exile. You're an alien here, a stranger, a foreigner, a visitor. He's saying this is something that is key for you to understand as a Christian. So this is a, a new section that he's starting, and it's the longest section in the letter. And it's answering this question. I put my clicker in my pocket, I think. Yes. Uh. He's answering this question. Oh, I did that again. How should God's people live in a right relationship with unbelievers in a pagan society? This is what Peter is going to unpack. How do you live as God's people? How do you live as a Christian 
in a society that's not Christian? How do you have right relationships with unbelievers? What should that look like? Translate it for you. What does it look like for you to live in a right relationship with non-Christians at your school, with non-Christians in your neighborhood, with non-Christians on your rec team, on your dance team, whatever, what have you, wherever you live, work, or play? What does it look like for you to be in a right relationship with people who do not value, cherish, delight in, worship the same things that you do? And that's what Peter is going to get at. So this is our passage for tonight, his introduction to that answer. Okay, this is what it, in verse 11, if you want to read along, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or unbelievers honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. So we're going to unpack some important things in this passage for us tonight as it concerns how to live in this world where we don't feel like we belong. All right, so let me pray for us. And I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the reasons that we pray before we go into the sermon is for you guys to pray as well, to limit distractions, to, to clear up your heart so that you can focus. You can say, God, I want you to speak to me through your word, okay? And also, I ask that you pray for me that I would stay focused and I would stay um, uh, prioritized on what God wants me to say. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we are here because of you. As followers of Jesus, we have been saved by a great and mighty act of sacrifice through Jesus. And we are here simply to remind ourselves that that should be the center of our universe. That is why we are alive. That is our purpose. That is our reason for being. And we are here to honor you as we continue in our life to do the things that you've called us to as followers of Jesus. So God, I pray that that would just redefine everyone's intentions here, that that would be clearly and boldly uh, proclaimed to each student in this room. And Lord, we know that's only by your Holy Spirit. So God, keep me aligned with your word and fill me with your spirit for that task. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to go over four teachings from this text, okay? Four teachings. Number one, Christians are resident aliens. Christians are resident aliens. So Peter urges them, it's the opening, he says, I urge you as sojourners or exiles. Some of your versions may have said foreigners or strangers or pilgrims. Right? But tonight I want to use that term resident aliens. I read a great book called Resident Aliens, and I think it just is a cool image. It's like you're residing, but you don't belong. You're like an alien. You are here. You're residing, but you don't belong here. You're not from here. So Christians are resident aliens. We actually live and reside here in society, but we are strangers. We're foreigners. So do you, think about this, this is the first kind of thing for you to take and and ask yourself, do you see yourself as a resident alien? Do you have this sense of you don't belong here? And this is a good sense of I don't belong here. Do you have that, that longing? 
you're here, but you're residing, but you don't belong. You realize that you're not yet home. Is anyone else in here like a homebody? Like, I'm a homebody. Okay, good. We're proud of it, mostly. But if you told me, like, you could be anywhere in the world sometimes, uh, depending on the day, how tired I am, I'll probably choose to be at home on my couch or in my office or sitting down in a really comfy chair in my house with a good book. Like, that sounds amazing to me. Even in the summers when we don't have Sunday night service, Steph and I and the kids, we choose to go to, like, the home I grew up in. My parents still live there, like, five minutes away from us. And we just go and we just chill out there the whole day. They live on the back of a golf course, so we'll, like, run out on the golf course and, like, sunsets. It's awesome. I just love it. And you just, but one of the things is, you, like, you go there and you feel like you're home. And you just can't replace that feeling. You know, that feeling of, like, I'm fully comfortable here. Like, I am home. And basically, Peter says, we shouldn't have that feeling about the world that we're living in right now. We don't have this comfort of belonging where we're at right now. We know something's amiss. Something's wrong. There is still something yet to happen, and we're not yet home. We are strangers. We're foreigners in some sense. And that's an important thing for us to realize. As Christians, this whole imagery, uh, for the biblical writers, this imagery is, um, comes from the people of Israel. The people of Israel, if you're familiar with the biblical story, uh, they were promised a land and, um, if they were faithful to the covenant. But basically, they disobeyed the covenant and they got exiled out of their land. They got kicked out. And they had to go live as visitors, as exiles, as aliens in Babylon for 70 years. If you're familiar with the story of Daniel, um, or if you're more familiar with the VeggieTales story with the chocolate bunnies, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so they were in a land that they didn't belong in. They had to do things that they didn't agree with. They didn't have the same values of the people that they were living in. This was the exile. So Peter is using this imagery to talk about how we are as Christians now. We are living in like a Babylon right now. We're living somewhere in the world in general, in society in general, that we don't belong. And we have to come to grips with that. So there's still a journey to travel. You're not yet home. That feeling of longing that you have is legitimate, and it stems from this fact that you are not yet home. Furthermore, one of the ways that you most easily experience this feeling that you know that you're not home is when you look out into the world and you experience sin and sorrow. You don't have to, you know, venture very far to see that this world is a broken and fallen and difficult place to live in. I had a fifth grade teacher. Her name was Miss Jones. And uh, we were in fifth grade, and she, one of her favorite phrases was, kids, we live in a fallen world. Listen, I was like in fifth grade. Like, I was like, I don't know. I'm just like concerned about my Game Boy Advance and AOL Instant Messenger. Like, world's okay. Do you guys know? <laughs> yeah, you don't know what the AOL Instant Messenger is. Um, yeah, Carson back there. Yay. Um, that's how we all got girlfriends in fifth grade. Who do you like? I don't know. Who do you like? And then, ta-da, you both liked each other. It was amazing. Uh, but they would, you wouldn't talk to them in, like, real life, though. No. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> Anyway. So I didn't think the world was, like, super fallen. 
I was like, it's kind of bad, you know, but um, that was her favorite phrase. She would always say that, that we live in a fallen world. Now, listen, some of us in here, reality checks you a lot sooner. You start to realize the, the, more, the faster you grow up, the more mature you become, you're going to realize how sorrowful and sinful the world is. You're also going to realize that about yourself. The guy who wrote about half the New Testament, his name was Paul, he called himself the chief of sinners. He called himself like the king of messing up. And it's not because like he really was worse than other people in, in all these regards. It's that he was so mature in his understanding of God and how good and great and gracious he was that his own wickedness was something that he came to grips with. So understand, you are going to sense the wickedness of the world, your own wickedness, the more and more you grow up. As you get wiser to the ways of this world, you're going to become more aware of how broken it is and how you're not yet home. Nonetheless, while it's evident that the world outside of us is full of sin and sorrow, listen to me, that's not the direction Peter goes in. He doesn't start then listing all of the wicked, bad things that we see in the world. He doesn't start saying, like, this culture is so messed up with this. This person's doing this. This group of people are doing that. Instead, he turns his attention to the Christian's behavior. This is very important. Number two, resident aliens battle fleshly desires. Resident aliens battle fleshly, carnal, sinful desires. They battle those things. Again, this world may be fallen. It may be wicked. The Christians that Peter were writing to were being threatened to be killed. Okay, like, that's, it's hard to come to grips with that oppression. But Peter doesn't want them to dwell on just the world around them. Peter doesn't want us just to dwell on how bad and wicked the world around us is. Because we can be quick to talk about other people's messes. It's really easy to start talking about how messed up other people are. But Peter's focus is to say, all right, we live in a wicked world. You're a resident alien. So focus on your battle with your own sin. Think about this. Peter's first answer to living well in a pagan society, in a world that's all messed up, that's gone to hell in a handbasket, his first step is to say, focus on the sin within you. Don't busy yourself pointing out the flaws of other people. Busy yourself with the battle in your own heart. That is the first step in the right direction of living well in a world where you don't belong. That's so important, guys. You see, many of us are inclined to think that the biggest struggle you face in the school that doesn't value your Christianity, that wants to suppress your Christianity, the biggest battle you think is getting the Christian club. It's getting, you know, your values heard, your voice heard. You think the biggest battle is dealing with other people. And Peter says the biggest battle is in you. That's where you need to start. So we tend to treat other people as our, our biggest problem that the battle concerns wrestling with oppression or persecution or unbelievers in society. But Peter points out that the most important battle is the battle for your own sanctification, the battle for you to become more and more like Jesus. That's the battle that you need to focus on. 
So we can get into a lot of practical things here, right? We can say, like, to battle sin, if you need to battle sin, like, Romans 6 through 8 is a great passage. If you really want to focus on, like, battling your sinful desires, soak through Romans 6, 7, and 8. Great passages to do that. But this important principle we have to linger on here, okay? For your priorities as a Christian and a non-Christian society. The battle that you should devote most your time, energy, and prayer is not against the persecution or oppression of others. It's against your own sin. That's where you should be exerting most of your energy. Okay? The battle that you need to focus on in your school is not simply that you get the Christian club to meet on campus. The battle that you need to fight on your rec team is not that they play like clean music during warm-up. The battle that you, we need to focus on in America is not simply that we get Christians elected and we can sell cakes to whoever we want to. The battle we need to focus on as Christians in this country is our own sin and the sinful desires that are swelling up inside of us. The biggest hindrance to the gospel will be Christians not living like Jesus, and the only effective way to advance the gospel is going to be Christians living like Jesus. We have to start with our own hearts if we're going to live well in the society that God's placed us in. So listen, it's not about that those battles aren't important. It's about prioritizing the right battles in the right order. I like to say it like this way. As long as we continue prioritizing the wrong battles, like the big culture war battles, like I'm, I'm all for praying in schools, right? Like that's a battle we need to fight and continue to have or whatever. That's not the main battle though. The main battle you need to be concerned with is the own sin in, in your own heart. Right? So we have to prioritize the right battles as resident aliens in this world. And if we don't, we will continue to fail to represent Jesus as our Lord. We will. We just will. So prioritizing the right battle, that battle of your own personal sanctification is so, so important. That's, that's where you need to put all of your energy. And guys, recognize this is a battle. You becoming more and more like Jesus, you becoming more and more holy, battling the sinful desires you have, it's not a fun process. It's not a happy-go-lucky, like, do-it-in-your-own-time type of thing. It's not something that you should cope with. Those desires that you have, you will have sinful bad desires, okay? You will. It's what you do with those desires when they come. Don't let them linger. Don't entertain them. Don't give them space to breathe. Kill them. It's a battle. We got to fight them. And that is something that we have to be intent and serious about. Peter doesn't say, okay, like when you have these, text your accountability partner. Let them know that you struggled and you messed up and, you know, just you know, try better next week. It says, battle these sinful desires in you. Kill them. Because, listen, they will poison our Christian witness. That's the serious thing that's at stakes here. So that's why Peter uses that language. Kill them. Now there's a second command that Peter gives. Point number three. Resident aliens maintain good conduct among others. So Peter's first answer to living well in the society that is not Christian, that doesn't support your values, is to prioritize your own battle with sin, your own battle with sinful desires. 
And his second answer to living well in a pagan society concerns not simply pointing out the bad behaviors of others, but it comes from prioritizing good conduct in front of others. Listen, guys, there's a big difference. There's a big difference from just talking about how bad this group of people are and, and actually living good conduct in front of them. Okay, because we're really good at, popular American Bible Belt Christians are really good at talking about how bad other people are. But we're not good at actually having good conduct among them. Okay? Like the whole marriage issue, right? We're really good at telling people that this is the definition of marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman. That's what the Bible says in Leviticus. How are Christian marriages doing compared to other marriages? They're not doing extremely well. So guys, we have to own this as a Christian community. We need to prioritize having good conduct among unbelievers rather than just telling unbelievers how they should act. And listen, this, this applies to every one of us in, a, in this room. I'm not saying that these people are better at shouting down bad people, and I don't, you know. We all are more hypocritical than we think. That's something that we just have to check. We're hypocrites. And so that's what Peter's doing. He's curbing us. He's saying, stop just focusing on them and out there and the problems out there. Focus on the inward problems. Focus on the things that are spoiling up in your own heart and prioritize good conduct for yourself. We all have to do that. So the other part of this is know that we're being watched. We are being watched as a community. We're being put under a microscope. People who know that you claim to follow Jesus are watching you, and they're, they're actually getting their theology, their understanding of Jesus from how you act. How does their Jesus look? When people look at my life, how does Jesus look to them? I don't know. I don't know. But we have to come to grips with this fact that the good conduct that we, we have, or that our conduct in general around other people is reflecting Jesus in some way, good or bad. And this leads to his next point. Your good conduct, among others, may lead to their salvation. This is what Peter says. He says... Maintain good conduct among others so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that whole last phrase is so that they may be saved. So something about your conduct as a Christian can lead others to follow Jesus and be saved. That's why it's important that we maintain good conduct with other people. So the first thing to, to see in that statement from Paul, or from Peter, I always get them confused. Um, the first thing to see is that your actions can lead other people to Jesus. It's like lifestyle evangelism. The way you live your life can proclaim the gospel. The second thing to see, which is so interesting in that statement, is he says for them to do this amongst people who are calling them evildoers. 
He says, you know those people that are calling you evil? Maintain good conduct with them because by, by maintaining good, good conduct among them, they may be saved. So these aren't just like nice people who have bad opinions about you. They're people that are shouting at you, calling you evil. They're, they're slandering you. you have, do you have anyone in your life like that? Who is slandering you for being a Christian, calling you an evildoer for, uh, or bigoted or, or you have hatred or anything because you're a Christian? Do you have anyone in your life like that? And what Peter says is that person, by you staying the course, maintaining your good conduct, you may save that person. God may save that person through you. So the reality is we shouldn't be surprised that people slander us, that, that they mistreat us. That should not surprise us. They, they did that to Jesus. We claim to follow Jesus. But Peter says, when they're doing that, stay your course. Keep doing good. Do not steep to their level. Don't take the low road and begin to get in an insult battle with them. At all costs, try not to be hard-headed and cold-hearted, but prioritize their salvation. Think about that. Like when someone is attacking you, Peter says one of the motives that you should have for how you react is their salvation. Like, are you more concerned about them being saved? Or are you more concerned about you winning an argument with them or proving yourself right? That's so important. So honestly, when you face oppression, persecution, when you're struggling to be a Christian where you're at, stay the course and prioritize your good conduct for the sake of their salvation and all of that to the glory of God. This is so, so important. So for, just to conclude, for now... We're, we're resident aliens. We're, we're exiles. We don't belong here. We're visitors. We have a longing that's only going to be fulfilled on the other end of eternity. Where God returns, Jesus makes all things new. In the new earth, we will dwell with him, be in his presence. We will belong there perfectly. And we look forward to that day. While we are waiting, prioritize your conduct. Prioritize the battle that's within you. Maintain your good conduct among those people. Also notice this means that you don't just like withdraw from those people. You don't just like set up big walls. You, you are among them. So you still have good conduct among them. But all of this will actually lead to them being saved. So have that perspective. May each of us have that responsibility in our hearts, growing in our hearts as we recognize that we're not home yet. This is a good question for all of us to answer this week. Because of this, how can I better battle my sin and be a witness for Jesus? Sure.